0: Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick.
1: Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy.
0: Hello. uh, Thanks for having me, Jess. My name is Michael Keenan, and I'm the co-founder of Peak Freelance. And I'm also a freelance writer for the better part of six years. And I do content and SEO for some of the top software brands like Shopify, HelpScout, ManyChat. Over my time as a freelance writer, I've worked on stuff like strategy, um, productized services, content refreshing, and writing net new articles and helping with production. And even had a short stint as, a, as an agency uh, founder too with Elise Dobson, who's the other co-founder of Peak Freelance.
1: All good. Um, you are working on so many different things. What is like the typical day if you could, if there even is one, like for you?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and these are kind of also, to, to add another thing in there, I also have a, a company that's not related to writing and it's a, a like a stock trading company and a firm. So um, basically my days are, I'm up at 5, 5.30 and we do kind of some pre-market research And then I get into, I do my best for for that company, right? And that's maybe like a half hour. And then I actually do my best writing in the morning. And that's kind of something that I prefer to do. So when people are like, oh my God, you get up at five o'clock in the morning, how do you do it? It's like, well, I actually prefer it. And it actually had came from during the beginning of the pandemic. And right like I think a lot of freelance writers in the beginning of the pandemic were getting lots of leads, right? a lot of these companies were going online, they needed people to write content, um, a lot of money was flowing into company blogs, and I had taken on too much work at one point, and I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning. So that that sucked, but then what happened was I actually built a writing rhythm for myself to where I knew if I got up at like five, five-thirty, and I could spend like a solid two hours writing before I call the world wakes up, that's when I'm doing my best writing, right? So from, from maybe after doing some market research and then I do my, my book, like my hardest writing of the day is done in the morning. After that, I, I do exercise in the morning. So usually I'm a runner, so I like to run. And then I like to just do like a hit workout or something, maybe a little bit of yoga to kind of keep my mind fresh, um, and get ready for the day. And then it's breakfast at like 9, 9:30. Um, and then here, I live in Mexico. Uh, I'm an expat here. I'm from the I'm from New York originally. Um, here we have lunch around like 2, 2:30. So it's a little bit later. So after um, breakfast to lunch is meetings, um, more writing, but not as like intensive writing. So maybe I'll be editing articles from the morning or the day before. Um, And then after lunch is kind of like the work that, you know, like it doesn't take as much intensive brain work. So I'm doing more like outlining, um, working with some of the researchers that I work with to kind of figure out the angles that we're going to take on an article, Um, maybe like sending articles and out to my editors and correcting edits and whatnot. Um, So so that's kind of like the end of the day. And then I'm usually done around like five or six. Uh, but remember, like, I am taking breaks throughout the day because we do take like an hour, an hour, half lunch. Breakfast is an hour. Um, So it's not like a straight on 12 hour day, but it is a long day.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of things that are really interesting there when you're describing your typical or day. Before you realize that, like, you did your best, like, did you always sort of kind of knew you did your best writing in the mornings or... Was that just really a realization from kind of the beginning of the pandemic? And if so, like, how did you manage to shift that and to be able to kind of develop that better um, productivity routine for you?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question um, and something I've never actually reflected on n- until you've asked. But I used to really struggle to get into the flow of writing um, and not because of I learned to put the phone on do not disturb and like close out your email windows and stuff like that. Um, But I, I'm, I'm a very distracted person in general. So for example, like I'll go play with my dog. Like I just, I've I've always, I've, I struggled to write definitely in the afternoons, but I had to, and it was very mentally taxing on me to have to like be hitting, like, like forcing myself to write in the afternoons and maybe in the morning after I just had breakfast, you know, and I'm, I'm, and for me, It was being forced to to write at five o'clock in the morning when I had that quick period where I just took on way too much work and had to do it that I did find that rhythm. So I used to struggle a lot and I used to get writer's block a lot, which is a whole nother topic, right? To talk about how to get over writer's block so you can train your brain to start writing again. But I used to get blocked all the time because it's just, those were not the times of the day uh, that were working for me. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's so key to have, Sort of realize when your peak productivity is, um, and kind of get in the zone and optimize your work day around that. I mean, that's one of the great things about being like solo is the fact that you have a little bit more flexibility around your day,
0: exactly. And when we had the agency, we didn't have that right because, as an agency owner, you're not doing any writing, right? Like, you don't have really much control over the, the writing process, you have like you can outline stuff or you can edit stuff but like you're when you're an agency you're kind of stuck on when you know is the writer going to hand in something at nine o'clock in the morning or are they going to hand it in at three o'clock in the afternoon like so you're kind of and if when's the deadline right when you're kind of like on everyone else's schedule versus being a solo a solo person where you can create your own schedule again
1: and this is kind of diving in shifting gears a little bit but I know you've had kind of straddled that line between being a solo and also being, and then at one point having an agency for a while um, with Elise, your co founder. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about kind of some of the differences between solo, um, solopreneur life versus having an agency and what you kind of reflected from that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I would start with the good thing is having the agency, if you don't have good processes in place. So, for example, like client onboarding processes, production processes. Um, and you know kind of like just client uh, client communication processes the agency is just doomed from the start (laughs) so so and again we we dissolved the agency for other reasons Um, but the the one big benefit I learned from having an agency after we dissolved it was taking all of those great processes and putting it into my own business right because you know as a freelancer you could build a client onboarding process but like you're just one person, so maybe maybe you could, or you have a VA, you know, which I have a VA also. Um, and you could, you know, you can maybe skip a step or do you really need to build a mio board that shows the flow of everything? And because I was a solo person for so long, no BAs or anything, I just had it all in my head, which I think a lot of people do until it kind of like you in the face and as an agency, like you know, like it's gonna smack you in the face if you don't have a process in, in place. So one of the big benefits of having an agency was taking agency processes and implementing them into a freelance business. And again, that kind of goes along the same lines of like how you produce content, how how you communicate with clients and your boundaries of communicating with clients, right? Um, how you onboard clients, what your contracts say. So I think there were a lot of benefits to, to having an agency and kind of like straddling that line between solo like solo freelancer and agency. Um, the one thing I didn't like about having the agency um, was I personally felt, and I'm not sure how to put this in a way that doesn't sound like freelancers do less work, um, because I do think freelancers do more work than than you know, in, in some senses, like more to do work. Um, they, when I, when a client sees you as an agency, the, they expect like the demand of like communication and everything changes. Um, they, for some reason, they think that you like make millions of dollars and they expect the world from you versus when they see you as uh, a solo, a freelancer or a solo writer, you, you kind of have a little bit more flexibility. I, I feel, you know, the, the biggest issue that we had with the agency was working together with our processes and the client's processes, right? Every piece of content that we built was involved, you know, interviewing and, and, and getting unique sources and, ha- and having to help clients build that process for themselves and trying to match the two processes together between the agency and the client it was just becoming a lot of, it was becoming really tough from our standpoint. And I feel like as an agency, it's just a lot easier. Uh, No, as a, as a freelancer, it's a lot easier to just be like a production, like the client sends you a brief, you turn it, you don't, you don't even need to talk to people all the time. You can just do everything through email. Whereas with agencies, they expect you to, to, you know, have strategic insights and meet all the time and, you know like get so involved in their company at least in our experience that the, as a freelancer you have the flexibility to say like no i don't do that you know there are there are freelancers that i know that purely operate through email they don't ever they don't ever do monthly calls with their clients it's like and they we're talking like the top tier writers out there the people that are making $1, 15 1600 hours plus post they're not ever meeting with their clients everything is happening transactionally through email whereas as an agency you don't have that flexibility in my in our experience at least
1: you said okay, you said so many really interesting things there that i want to kind of touch upon one being kind of communication processes and what are like giving you have this like really unique and really valuable experience in both worlds were there things that you learned from agencies that like what are some of the like communications processes from the agency that you kind of have the sense evolved into your solo um, writing, solo writing in a SEO world. And yeah, so let's, so let's start there.
0: Yeah, so one, one of the, the biggest things was I used to use kind of like a, I used to use like a just an SOW for with clients for a long time. Um, and when we had the agency, one of, the, one of the, um, the big things was right, like getting them to sign our contract. And, I, never, and I, I know the importance of a contract, but rather I was saying as a solo freelancer, like I had some flexibility to be like, well, I could just use an SOW because it's easier for everyone. Um, and then I took from the agency and like going back and forth with some clients about like tweaks to the, to the contracts and you know to protect yourself as well as saying like, I'm not, I'm not available to you 24 seven. Like these are the boundaries and the guidelines that we have at an agency that we need to follow, that you need to follow. know um so one of those like communication processes was that i took from the agency coming back over to and this was like the learning experience right was like um not constant like giving clients saying like hey like i will join your slack channel but these are the only times that i am available to chat with on slack like i'm not an employee I'm not available 24 seven to chat with you, you know, like you can't just like call on me at 9 PM at night and expect me to answer you. Um, and also same with email. So that was kind of one, of one of the big client communications that I learned from having an agency, which would be kind of like the mistakes that I made in the agency um, that I was clearly making before my freelance business was building boundaries in communication. Um, you know, because especially when people are paying you a lot of money to write articles, and you're actively producing articles for them, they may feel like you are, like you may be kind of like their employee, you know, but you're not. So you, you're a business owner. So you have to be able to put the the, the the boundaries in place to say like, this is how I communicate and this is how I work. And if you don't like it, then we're not going to work together. Yeah,
1: that's such a great point. Diving a little bit more, where you kind of something really interesting a few minutes ago, where you were talking about how some of the top gear writers don't, even do any sort of communication at all outside of email um that's certainly something that I've definitely heard before but like can you maybe like talk through some of the nuances of when to rely on email versus when to be on calls you know or maybe least like what your approach is like when it comes to communication versus Slack Zoom do you use any sort of asynchronous tools like Loom or Message? yeah
0: yeah so for me personally so as you know like and this is one of the things I like about a freelance business, right? It is like you're in control, you can do things as you please, right? Like it's your business. Um so for me personally, like I love getting looms. Um and I try to avoid monthly calls if if at all possible. And if they are monthly calls, like they're usually very short, like 20 to 30 minutes. Um, But I have been in cases where it's been like every single week we have to meet and every single week we have to go through like you know the, the schedule and blah, blah, blah. And that is just way too, it's way too mentally taxing for me. And I don't think that all freelancers need to be so involved with a client's production process from that standpoint, where you have to meet and go through the schedule every single day or every single week. Um, I'm down to, for example, like I work with one client and we I basically get articles um, like to refresh monthly. And at the end of the month, every month, we meet for a half hour and we talk through the articles for the next month that to me is a huge benefit um, because i get to know what they want what they're expecting from this batch of refreshers that are coming out and we can kind of say like hey like should we take this angle for this one should we take this angle for this one like uh, and we kind of set the expectations for the month moving forward um i am you know peak freelance i'm always in peak freelance on the slack Um, I do communicate with clients through Slack and Loom, Um, but the thing is like being able to draw the boundaries to when you can say like, I'm not doing this, you know, because it just doesn't work for me.
1: Absolutely. Um, And that's kind of a really good segue into, I know something else that you and Elise are both really passionate about being peak freelance. Um, Can you maybe tell a little bit more about the story about how that came to be in the first place and a little bit more about for someone who's listening to this, who maybe doesn't know what peak freelance is, what it's about?
0: Yeah, for sure. So Peak Freelance is the, I'll tell you what it is now, and I'll tell you what I want it to be in the future. Um, Peak Freelance right now is, it's the, uh, it's a community for freelance writers. Um, and it's, we tend to attract more like mid-level to more expert free, uh, like freelance writers. Um, and basically the w- one section of it is our Slack community. Um, and that's, free and upgradable pro channels, but in there we post um, jobs and there's always conversations around like, if someone has a question like, hey, how should I word something in my contract? You know, you have 300 other like well, well-versed freelance writers in there to kind of like chime in and share on these conversations, which is really, really awesome. Um, one of that's one of my favorite parts of Peak Freelance. The other side of Peak Freelance is we have a blog, which is totally free. Um, and that is all focused right now, kind of on like helping you become a better writer, helping you find clients, um, you know, helping you figure out which software you want to use for a freelance business. Uh, and then the other side is the education portal. So we do, we use Podia. And for paying members to be freelance, you get access to um, some of our like premium products, which are uh, like the Content Refresh Handbook, advanced writing courses. We also do expert interviews that we drop regularly with people like Tim Swolo, Rand Fishkin, um, Amanda Natividad, like Kaylee Moore. So we're always, um, our goal is basically, right, to help people either make more money if that's what they want or create a business, like a freelance business, that's more rewarding and fulfilling. Um, Because we've both been in those places where like, you know, is it, Am I enjoying my freelance writing business, and what am I not enjoying about it? And where am I not like? Where can I make the changes so I can enjoy my business again? Because right, like if you don't take the steps to recorrect every once in a while, everything just turns to chaos. It's the natural order of the world. I like to think. Um, but basically, in in one sentence, Peak Freelance is the community that Elise and I both wish that we had when we first started writing, and it did begin as a Patreon group with uh, that Elise started. And I did an interview for, for her group. And then right after that, we clicked really well. And I had just stalked Elise on Twitter for years, right? She was one of my favorite writers. I always read her stuff. Um, and she uh, she asked me. she was like, hey, do you wanna join? It was about a month old project. She was like, do you wanna join me as co-founder um, and let's make Peak Freelance something awesome? And I was like, hell yeah. Like I wanna make Peak Freelance something awesome, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um- What strategies have helped you like kind of lead a global community of freelance writers?
0: Oh, what strategies? That's really good. So in terms of do you mean strategies in terms of kind of like getting members into the community or do you kind of mean like how to like lead or like educate people um, in the community? What like what kind of strategies?
1: Um, great question. I would say a little bit more about leading as well as kind of being, making sure that they are like facilitating participation and engagement, and making sure that you know there are those connections between other writers, and it's not just you two um, with like a massive audience, but more like kind of people communicating with each other inside the community.
0: Ah, oh, for sure. So. So, yeah, so one of the things we do is um, we have town halls regularly where everyone gets to kind of like meet up if they want on a Zoom call. And those are kind of like open, free conversations. Also, um, we have a one-to-one pairing. And this is one of my favorite things in there, also, in Peak Freelance also. Um, we have a, a, an AI tool. I don't remember the name right now. Um, but we have an AI tool that automatically pairs different members together um, every month. So you can kind of just like still, the tool will match you with someone and then you can have like a 15, 20 minute call with someone else from the from the community. And that has been one of the best, it's been one of the best things to, one of the best strategies in kind of like creating, creating a real community sense, right? Because anyone can say like, I built a community um and just like make a slack group or a facebook group or whatever but give, like really creating a sense of community is the challenge of actually having a community that lasts and i think these one to one pairings are just so cool because they introduce that people can meet other people just like them from anywhere in the world right like anywhere in the world and they can share their stories and you start to see the conversations inside of peak freelance like become more le- like it's not all transactional, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like you can tell people are speaking like, like you're their friend, like you're friends with them, you know, like they're helping out a friend. They're not just helping like some, some thumbnail on Slack, you know, like it's not, it's not a chore. It's like, oh, I'm helping this person because I care about them and I know them, you know? And I think that has been one of the strongest strategies of like kind of creating a sense of community inside of peak freelance, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely, Um, and I'm probably going to botch how I say this, but in a community where it is all freelance writers and in some regards, you are kind of in a community of people who could potentially be your competitors. How do you kind of bridge that gap in a way to ensure that people are in that community and they're willing to like be fairly transparent and open and sharing in that community? Given that it's is in a niche where some people might actually have a competitor do in that community.
0: Oh, I mean, hands down, like we. I mean, it depends on how you really view the in like the the industry of freelance writing, right? Just like are you and I competitors? Definitely, like we we would be going after the same clients, right? Like DataBox, ConvertFlow, like I would write for them too, um, you know. So so, but I don't. I've never viewed other writers as competition. I've viewed them as kind of, I've just viewed them as like friends and people I want to get to know. And I think that also kind of radiates throughout the community. Cause it's not something that we don't, we don't push the, the notion of like, you need to be like better than your compa- like these other people in the group. It's like, no, like we're here to make each other better. And sometimes that means like, Hey, like I have an overflow client, you know, like there's people that go in there and be like, Hey, I got this lead. Um, I can't take them on right now, or I'm, I'm just, they're not the company for me. Like someone's like, send, if you're interested in this company, blah, 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 reach out to this person or send me your portfolio and I'll send them the links to you. So, um, to, so maybe they'll reach out to you. And that's what I mean by kind of creating that sense of community. There's no, like you can be writing for B2B SaaS companies and, I mean, a lot of people do write for B2B SaaS companies, but it's never the sense of like, I need to get this client over them, you know? And how many times have you worked with a client that was like, hey, I need other writers. Like, I'm never the only freelance writer at at a company. So like, for me, it's, there's not like true, there's, there's not true competition. You know, like I write for Shopify retail. Um, There are people in the group that also write for Shopify retail. Right. So like we're all we're all in the same place and they got those clients like not from not from being in the group specifically, but they got those clients like regardless of whether I got those clients or not. You know, so I don't I don't look at freelance writers as competition. And I, I hope that I, I believe that's what radiates throughout peak freelance too, because there's never any like animosity or or competition feel inside of the group.
1: Likewise, and very well said. Um, I don't necessarily know if you have, like as someone, like my own background is, I actually got into content marketing and writing through community building. So that side of things really interests me. But um, it sounds to me like this might be like your first time really building a really strong community. What's maybe some of the most surprising things you've learned over the time that you've had peak freelance? (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, oh, God. It is, definitely, it is my first time building, building a community. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned so far, and I don't know if this is specific to community, like the actual act of building a community or just being a freelancer, is that at first we thought people wanted to join the group to make more money. Right. Like we thought like the goal was like, Hey, you'll join peak freelance and we'll teach you the ways to make more money. But the biggest thing I learned is probably that that's not the case at all. Like, yeah, sure. Like people want to like, maybe even make people want to learn, right. Like how to pitch stories better or how to, you know, upsell their own clients. But a lot of the messages that I've gotten and like the feedback that I've gotten from peak friends has been things like, Hey, like you helped, but not me, not you as in me, but like Peak Freelance has helped me build my confidence so I can raise my prices or just build, just feeling more confident um, in themselves as a business owner. And then also um, having, just having a support network behind them. And and it's funny because like we kind of, that was the whole point of Peak Freelance in the first place, right? It was like building the community that you, the building the community that we wanted when we had started freelance writing and maybe we're getting past like the upwork phases right like the middle the middle tiers or like not tiers but the like the mid of your freelance career where you're starting to really like figure it out you're getting some bylines um, we we built the community to help people get over that hump or like a system through that hump and then somewhere along the way it's almost like we missed like the actual point like for some reason it was like everyone wants to make money right and yeah, everyone wants to make money, but people look for a lot of other things inside of peak Freelance as a community, you know? So it's kind of funny to see like this full cycle, the reason we created it, kind of like the, the, the vision we distorted for a minute and then realizing like, oh, people are here for sure money, but also like they love the support and being able to feel connected to people around the world and sharing their problems and their stories and their successes. Um, and that has been kind of like, the best part of being freelance, like that to see from an observing stand, like as an observer.
1: Absolutely, and to kind of follow up on that, what are some of the most memorable moments that you've kind of seen or like experienced firsthand within the community?
0: Hmm, Some of the most memorable moments. Do, do the Pets of Peak Freelance channel count? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But we do we do have a Pets channel where everyone posts their, their pets, and that's just amazing. Um, but I think, you know, for me, the when, when it really hit home for me was when people started sharing. There's not one moment that I can say that was memorable, but it was where people started sharing personal stories like, And you start like, hey, like I'm pregnant, you know, like, and I'm giving birth soon and I'm going to take off all this time. And everyone jumping in to be like, oh, my God, we're so happy for you. You know, like, good luck. Like, we're here to help if you need any, you know, like, like, obviously, we can't support someone giving birth from an online community. But like, if you need any help with like your freelance business or something like we're here for you, you know. Um, So I think kind of like tying back into that previous point, like. One of the mo- of support is the most memorable moments happen weekly for me because it's seeing how, how loving and how supportive people are inside of the group, you know, especially with like the state of the world right now and how everything everything seems to be like it's in chaos. But inside of Peak Freelance, like the chaos kind of like subsides and you can kind of like, yeah, like sure, you're, you're writing and you check your Twitter and you see all this shit. But then inside of peak freelance like you're seeing you're seeing just moments being created inside you're seeing people be happy about what they're doing um you're seeing people like show love and respect for other writers from again like i said like everywhere in the world you know and you're learning people's stories i learned yesterday that um someone in the group like lived in guadalajara and went to one of which is where i live in, in mexico and and she went to one of the my one of our favorite like um, Pueblo Magicos, which is like a, a town here where they retain the Pueblo Mexicos are like towns where they retain uh, like the old architecture and like the magic of an old town. Um, and she also loves that town. It's called Batzguaro, and it's like just those moments happen repeatedly, and it's all just because of people like showing love and respect for each other inside a group.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and such as and again, kind of really ties back in like how small the world sometimes really is. Um, yeah. This is kind of encompassing both kind of the community as well as writing, freelance writing and content marketing as a whole. But like, what's something that you feel like really deeply about that the industry, and I'm going to say industry loosely because it could be SEO, it could be writing, it could just be community building, should stop doing?
0: What should they stop doing? Yeah oh okay um (laughs) what should they stop doing um so i mean this is like one of my this is one of my stances on it um and it's almost i think what the industry needs to stop doing is like demonizing seo content as like this like gutter trash content that is only built to like rank online for so obviously if it's built to rank it's shit it's written like shit it is only. It sounds like a robot wrote it. It's not interesting. It's not unique. And I think that is the biggest bullshit myth in the entire industry, because sure, like that's the way SEO, the, it's like we're placing the narrative on SEO content that did exist, you know, maybe seven years ago where you could just keyword stuff garbage and everything that was coming out of most blogs was garbage. But I think that's one myth that needs to kind of go because you see it all over LinkedIn and Twitter. It's like, Uh, just demonizing the idea of SEO content. And if that's the way you feel about SEO content, then you're not doing SEO content the right way, right? Because people hire me, they hire Elise, they hire, you know, the Kaylee Morris, they hire to create search content, like content for search, but that is also just fun and interesting and interactive and, and good to read. So I think like the whole like SEO content myth, I mean, it, it leaves more work for the people who actually do the SEO content, you know, like I've seen some crazy, crazy shit on LinkedIn, like just totally like disregarding SEO as even a channel and sure. But if you're working with software companies, some 70% of the leads are coming from search. So you do need to find a way to get found on search without paying for ads. Um, and that that's like one of my biggest, biggest things. Elise and I are always like laughing about the posts that we see around because, People just love to demonize SEO content, but it's just because you're not doing it the right way.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think I I can share the same share the same concerns and I um, the same way. And I won't name names, but I've definitely seen some articles recently where it's like, oh, SEO isn't even a good channel anymore. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. No, um, yeah. I couldn't mean, disagree. I can agree more with you and disagree more with some of those articles.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the Peak Freelance blog, like, we're seeing good traction, and we're going up against like some competitors, like Copy Bloggers. I mean, we're we're um, we're up against like Nerd Wallet for some of the tool roundups, and we're placing in position like three or four. Which again, if you're going up against the Nerd Wallets and stuff, like, I'll take it because Peak Freelance is a new site, a newer site. Um, But like, if we didn't have a because we have a production inside of Peak Freelance, Um, I think we we. Touch briefly on it before we started recording but we do have a team of writers um editors uh and like research also inside of peak freelance so we're actively producing s seo content like the shitty content but it's not uh, it's that that's uh, the it's not shitty content that's what i mean and it's actually helped us get our like eyes in front of people in different countries um and and kind of like grow the Peak Freelance brand is through search. So I, when people say the SEO content thing, I'm just like, well, that's fine. But we, Peak Freelance blog itself has grown pretty well over the past like 18 months, in my opinion, like in my experience of working with blogs that came from nothing to something, the Peak Freelance blog has grown pretty well um, given the amount of content we produced and that it was all focused on SEO and how well written it is and, you know, and being able to apply that knowledge to those articles.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I could dive into more about content production and hiring content teams um, for a while, but I also want to be respectful um, of your time and kind of wrap up of some lightning questions that I always like to ask at the end of each of these episodes. Yeah. Um, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about?
0: Um, so, it's funny because we were actually talking about this the other day like what we could write a book on um and i would probably write a book on how to not write shitty seo content <laughs> um and i mean also like i would probably write a book on something on something around that nature um, and i actually had read a copy of maddie osmond's book from the Blacksmith, and she right she I would love to write a book in similar in similar taste to hers because she writes about like writing for robots and humans, which has a very similar similar take to the the SEO content thing. Uh, but it would probably be on a topic like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what's one book you'd recommend that all freelance writers who are looking to become better leaders and better communicators um, should read?
0: Oh, okay. Um, can I give two?
1: <laughs> absolutely.
0: Okay, I have them right here. So it's perfect that you asked that. Um, So this one, this first book is called How to Make Sense of Any Mess by Abby Covert. And it kind of just like, it's not related to specific, uh, it's not related to freelancing in general, but it teaches you new ways to kind of like look at problems and kind of make sense of them, right? Like how to make sense of any mess. So Basically, and I can read you, it's like the steps are like identify the mess, state your intent, face reality, choose a direction, measure the distance, play with structure, prepare to adjust. Um, so this this book helps you solve problems, whether it's like professional problems or personal problems, like it teaches you a new way to think. And this was recommended to me by Adam Rogers, one of the content managers from Shopify. So thanks, Adam, if you, decide, if you learn to listen to this. Um, and the second one... Is about it is called How to Do Great Work Without Being an Asshole by Paul Woods. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I picked it up at the MoMA store in New York City. Um, and it's just a really, really good book um, about kind of like productivity and client meetings. And it comes from an agency standpoint. Um, but it really is just like it covers everything from giving feedbacks to from giving feedback to briefing to like firing clients and leaving agencies. And it's just a really good book. And it, and that's called How to Do Great Work Without Being an Asshole. Um, and I just had to say it again because I just love the title of it, but definitely recommend that book also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's been great chatting with you, Mike. Where can the listeners find you online?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Upmost Mike. Um, that's U-P-M-O-S-T, uh, Mike, M-I-K-E. Uh, you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn, which is just my name, uh, and then you can also find me in the Peak Freelance Slack community. Uh, we do have a free version, um, and you can find me there. I'm always, I'm usually in the Peak Freelance Slack, hanging around. So,
1: thanks so much for coming on the Remote Work Type podcast.
0: Uh, thanks for having me, Jess. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast.
1: Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.